Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanna remind you of all of the different ways you can get your hands on one of my designs. Impact Fashion is a line of size-inclusive, modest clothing available in sizes two through 24. I personally design and pattern every single piece in the collection so that it is fitted to perfection and every single piece runs the same. That means that once you know your size, that is your size in every single piece in the collection. Pretty cool, no? You can shop the collection online at impactfashionnyc.com. Shipping is totally free in the US and the return policy is, if I do say so myself, amazing. You have 30 days to make a decision and don't even have to pay return shipping or any sort of annoying restocking fee or anything like that. Impact Fashion can also be found at the address at American Dream Mall. The address is a curated, modest department store and definitely worth a visit if you are not an online shopping type of person. The American Dream Mall is located right next to the Meadowland Sports Complex in New Jersey. And to get to the address, you're going to want to park in Lot C, Level 3. Make a left when you walk in and you'll see the address on your right. I'm always happy to chat, whether that's to answer your sizing questions or just to get to know each other better. Find me on Instagram at impact.fashion.nyc or on WhatsApp status at 516-953-9391. You can also email me. It's rifky, R-I-V-K-Y, at impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzquist, and on today's show, I sit down with an educator and close family friend to discuss the state of our high school students. She shares her passion for education, why she thinks smartphones have been worse for boys than girls, and why the price to be paid for not paying attention to the emotional needs of students is so much higher than ever before. Everyone needs a Robin Schick in their life. A super smart sounding board who is in tune with the world and seems to know exactly what you need to hear at any given moment. Robin is an experienced educator who has decades of experience working in both boys and girls yeshiva education. She's also my adopted aunt and I am so thrilled to share her with you. You're talking a bit to somebody who was born in a different universe, in a different <laughs> life. Um, so as, as a little children, I mean, I was born in Brooklyn and um, lived there till I was five. And then we came to Queens where it was, um, we lived in, a, in, a, in a, a development called Sherwood Village, which is right near Lafrec City on, um, you see it on the LIE when you're going down there. But um, the streets weren't paved when we moved to Queens. My parents thought Queens was just like, whoa, where are we going? Um, so we lived in an apartment. I grew up with two brothers and a, an apartment, one bathroom, which I always tell my children about. <laughs> yeah, we have too many bathrooms right now. Um, and it was, you know, the word is simple, but I don't mean that because when I look back about it, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'm turning the big six five in July. So I was a child in the 60s, a child in the 60s, thank God, not a teenager in the 60s. <laughs> the world was going mad too then, but somehow we didn't know it. We we went to, I went to public school, so I, I was not raised religious. I went to public school 
and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful public school. Shout out to PS14 Queens um, in Corona, which came to be a very uh, terrible thing to admit in the last three years that I went to that I went to school in Corona. But okay, um, love school, love teachers, love the Mets. Um, you know, I didn't grow up in a family with money, so every year my parents took us to one ball game, which was like, whoa, you know, my own children have been to 3,476,000 <laughs> ball games. Um, so, um, yeah, so it was a, you know, went to high school, um, then, you know, very good student, have to admit, very good student, did go to an Ivy League college, which was an education education in and of itself is a social education forget an academic education and um then there's a whole lot of growing up in adulthood <laughs> what do you mean by that the, the the education in and of itself from from the okay. school where'd you go by the way so i went to university of pennsylvania okay in philadelphia and i'll tell you what i mean by it like one of the things about growing up where i grew up with all of my friends lived in apartments or some who really lived in the deep parts of Corona had these attached houses. And um, we were all pretty much, like honestly, being wealthy in those days meant that you had a car. I never had a car as a child. Okay, my parents would walk to the subway. I think it was the G train then, you know, in in the area Alexander's. If anybody remembers that. Um, and here I went to this place where I, people are showing me pictures. Lovely, lovely people showing me pictures of their houses and their swimming pools. And this one's father is president of IBM. <laughs> this one's father. It was. It was. You know. It. it, it I don't know, maybe call call me naive at that time and call me uh, like just unaware, which kind of gets me into the whole whole thing of the difference. Like clearly the difference is the internet, clearly. We didn't look things up. We didn't know how everybody I knew honestly lived the same life that I lived, you know? And, and there is a tremendous beauty to that. Um, obviously, there's tremendous, maybe, you know, not so many advantages to that. But, um, but when I went to, to that school, it was wow. <laughs> right. Like you, I mean, uh, listen, I know you as someone who's super smart, like you are among the smartest people that I know. And it doesn't surprise me that you ended that, you know, you're at this, I think I even knew that somewhere in the back of my head that you went to this Ivy League school and, and everything. But like you got there, I don't want to say like, I'm not going to say that other people in your class maybe had some pull, but let's just say that you didn't. And so right. you really are in a totally different universe. It's a, it's a different, it's like a different sphere of everything. It, it, it really, really, really is. And, and there were so many different things like unusual in an unusual way. That's where I became religious. Not, you know, a lot of times parents are rightfully afraid to send their children away to schools because of, you know, the world we live in today is quite different. But that's where I definitely, you know, um, somehow, you know, God allowed this to be, you know, to connect me with, with religious people. And, and that's, that's how I, I first started to, to investigate and, and, and become attracted to religion. Was there, was it like a rabbi on campus type situation? So, yeah. So I, I do, I should step back a minute. Like we were like, I, I think anybody who is my age that had maybe had parents who grew up in Brooklyn and, you know, we were so Jewish, 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 Jewish. You know, this was not like, a, we're not even, we didn't even know we were 
we're completely and totally Jewish in, in every aspect of our lives. Um, but when I got there, I decided for for some reason to investigate the Hillel, you know, um, and it's it's interesting, you know, God guides you because I could just as easily have not, because I did make a lot of different friends and I had some lovely, lovely, not Jewish friends, not religious Jewish friends, the whole thing, but I was very attracted to it. And yes, there was a rabbi there who um, was is very interesting. He was a conservative rabbi who was the head of the Hillel at that point. Um, we're talking here um, from 76 to 80, 1980, right. 1980, and I would learn with him and learn classes, and it was very funny because so many of my friends there ended up going to um, rabbinical school at the at the conservative seminary, and one day he looked at me and said, I just have to share something with you. You need to be orthodox. <laughs> and, and it was like, you, you don't, you're relating the things you're talking to me about are things that are definitely, you know, you will find more. And I, I have to tell you, I, I was so appreciative of that because I think people nowadays are in general, whatever, you know, very much, you know, my way is the highway mm -hmm. <laughs> or the highway. So I, uh, yeah, so, so, so that was, uh, it was it was a wonderful experience. That's actually very big of him to say, like, maybe this is not the right really? club for you. Right. So actually, I think people used to get a lot better in those days, honestly. I mean, they probably did. I mean, they did, although, you know, like we did fight wars there, too. Yeah, it's, it's also complicated. But but I think that they dealt. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we live probably now in the most polarized, polarized <laughs> Like you can't say anything anymore. It's hard for me to learn. Like I'm like Robin, shut up! <laughs> don't say anything! Don't say anything! Don't say anything! Just don't say anything! Yeah. Stop talking! Stop talking! Stop talking! Stop talking! Stop right, talking! Right, right, yeah, right, right, yeah, right, right, exactly. Right, right. So right. when you were at Penn, was that when you like knew that you were going to go the kind of school counseling, school psychology okay. type yes, route, yes, or like yes. talk to me about that? Because okay. that's how we. I feel like we should give people background. Um, you have known me since before I'm born. Yes, exactly. Um, yes, you have yes, known, yes. yeah, like literally since before I'm literally. born. Um, our families are probably as close it is, as it is possible to be without actually being blood related. Exactly. Um, like that, that is the level of closeness that we are talking. And I always knew you as like, again, because there's like, oh, I don't know, maybe like a generation between us that like, I always knew you as a school counselor. Um, right. It was actually really fun, like when you were, uh, for, like the whole time when you were at Manhattan, a good chunk of that time was when like my friends were right. you know, there. And I got to say, when I like met people at camp and it was like, wait, you know, Mrs. Schick? And I was like, no, Mrs. Schick. Mrs. Schick is like my aunt. Like this is, <laughs> yes. it was like, it was my ultimate cool ticket. So I'd love right. to know like how, okay. what made you decide to go in that kind of route? Okay. So it's, it's kind of fascinating. So when I went to Penn, one of the reasons I picked Penn was that I, okay, I just loved school. I lo I was the student of the year every single year. I mean, I just, I, I just thrived. I loved it. I had wonderful teachers, really, really amazing teachers, you know. Um, I, I mean, I could tell you some of the projects we did in elementary school, which were just mind boggling, but okay. So I knew I always wanted to do that and it fit my personality, but I, I also, you know, it's interesting, my, my school, my, 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 my counselors at school were like, 
you know, you should really try for more. <laughs> Is that funny? You should really try for more. You should really try for more. So Penn had a school of education where they had an undergraduate degree, which is very unusual because a lot of the other IVs and other private schools do not did not have that. The officers realized in the, in those days in '76, like you couldn't get a job in the board of education. Could not get it. There were no jobs. They were cutting back. So it's almost like you're going into a career where you will not be employed. So, okay. But one of the nice parts I think about my parents were one of the many nice parts about my parents was that they said, if that's what you want to do, you're going to do it. Just do it. So Penn was a perfect combination because I was able to both major in, in English and education. So I was able to just figure out, you know, the, the different routes, you know, all my other friends went to law school <laughs> from Penn or medical school that I did not do. Um, but I was able to student teach. I, I, I student taught in um, an elementary school in West Philadelphia. Born West Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was such an amazing experience. It, re it, really, it, it really was. And it was really something I wanted to do. So when I when I graduated with my degrees and I could not get a job, <laughs> which was the truth, I, I went to graduate school and I went to teachers college at Columbia, which was also my dream. And I got a degree in I got my degree in um, curriculum teaching and reading and special ed. Um, and at that point in time, um, say life is funny, I got a phone call from a student of mine, uh, excuse me, upper of mine, from, from Penn, who said, you know, why don't you go teach in a yeshiva? So I said, you know, I, I, I actually probably should. I would totally do that. So I was able to get a job um, at Hafter in Long Island, where I was working in the elementary school. And um, shout out to Hafter and my my principal, I'm allowed to, <laughs> Rabbi Besser from Hafter, who was the amazing, amazing. And I was there for a number of years and loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, the funny part is uh, <laughs> one of my, my students in elementary school in Hafter was a colleague of mine <laughs> at DRS where I was. Wow. <laughs> And he was like, he was like, okay, boys, he's a rabbi. Right. <laughs> and he's like, okay, boys, which one of the people in this building was my teacher? <laughs> and it was, wow. So that was really, really wonderful. So then what ended up happening was, you know, I, uh, in 1987, I gave birth to my first child. And um, my parallel dream was to stay home with my kids. Okay, stay home with my kids. And I really, um, which was, which is interesting because it, it was often done in those days. It, it really was often, often done. And I'm, I, I don't know if we were stupid or what we were, but like, we didn't think as much about, but I need to put food on the table. <laughs> I don't know, some that we did. Um, and again, I don't know that that's the right way. Um, but I know that that was the way that a lot of, I did with a lot of my friends. With, and, and we did that for many years. I did part-time work in that. I did part-time tutoring. I, I, I did some remediation um, and counseling in Beis Yaakov of Queens. I don't know if a lot of people did that for one year. I went back to half to very part-time for a while. 
and everything was going great. Then my, my youngest, my fourth was, you know, starting school full time and the phone rings and I get a call from Repits and Ruthie Asaf, who is a principal of Manhattan High School for Girls. This is 1999 at this point. And she says to me, hi, I got your name from a few different people. We're looking to create a course for seniors in introduction to special education. Would you um, like to teach that? And we laughed later on in many years. I literally, the words out of my mouth was, I don't teach high school. I only <laughs> teach elementary school. <laughs> literally. And, and she was like, um, why don't you come in? <laughs> come to the city, we'll talk, we'll sit. Okay, and as we say, the rest is history. And I walked into that building and like, I, 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 I really loved it because I created the course, which was very, very, very special. And I created the course and it was dynamite. It was amazing. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I love that. And I was there for 12 years. I ended up becoming, uh, it went from one day to two days to three days to four days. And when I, when I, when I left, I was director of student affairs. So that's why all your girls knew me. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, they were, um, loved them. I mean, you know, that, that group of girls was, was totally on the cusp of, I'll call it modernity, because when I left there in 1999, we... No, you didn't leave in 99, you started in 99. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When I left there in, right. Thank you. When I left there in two, it was 2011. I left there 2012, 2012. Okay. 2012. Yeah. Um, and I was just, we, the computers we used for, for, for doing, you know, pretty pictures and it wasn't, I, 99%, I think like the last two years, people were suggesting that we converse with some parents using, you know, the computers. And most are like, what? Pick up the phone. We'll talk to them. So I, I think that then, then when I switched and I switched to boys, mm -hmm. <laughs> teenage boys at DRS, then already it had taken off. Definitely, you know, the cell phones were not part of the girl's life. Although because they traveled, they definitely did have cell phones. Right. Those cell phones were not taken out because the rivets in the software have been like you cannot use them you cannot there was a payphone in the lobby of the school remember oh that's phone? adorable there was a payphone and if you needed you know you could ask the secretary if you could call but you could use the payphone um and then i i switched to drs which was where my sons had gone to school um for high school it's a help school and then in those years from from you know, to 2012 to 2022, 20, you know, uh, we're like, oh my God, that's when everything exploded for the negative, for the real negative, you know, and that's when kids got, it, it, it you know, it's a difference. So the funniest part was when I was in, in DRS for a few years and a boy said to me, so what did you do before this? And I said, I was at, um, you know, Manhattan High School for Girls. She was, you can't do girls. What do you mean girls? You're a boy person. So that 
that's when I knew I had made it. <laughs> that, that's how you know you're doing a good job. So just to give some context. So I am just a little bit younger than your than your youngest. Um, okay. I graduated high school in 2013. So that's right. why, first of all, all my friends know you because you right, were, right. you know, all my friends who went to Manhattan, you were their director of student affairs. And this track that you're talking about with like the introduction of the cell phone, it matched. I never thought about it that way because like, I had a phone in high school. In ninth grade, I actually had my older sister's number because she was in seminary when I was in ninth grade. So I, I took her phone and it was like one of those things with the push up keyboard that you had to uh -huh. use two fingers to uh -huh. type and all of that. It was the height of cool, let me tell you. And um, and I had it because I traveled because I was going from, from Queens to Far Rockaway. And then I always had some form of a phone through high school. But like the explosion of the smartphone was really only like it started a little bit when I was a senior in 2013, mm -hmm. but it, right. it wasn't really... It wasn't really a thing. And right. then, of course, in the last 10 years, I mean, you can't go. People are, like, giving their eight-year-old smartphones, which is yes. bonkers, in my opinion. Yes. But I'm, I'm curious, what is the, you know, you have this vast experience with girls and then, you know, this decade of experience with boys. What's the difference between them? What's it like? <laughs> okay. Talk to me about how, okay. <laughs> how teenage girls and boys, like, approach life differently. And do you think it's because okay. we're boys and girls are just different or because we treat them differently? Okay, okay. So first funny, two funny experiences. There was not a day in Manhattan where there wasn't, you know, I used to keep my door open. Occasionally it would be knocked and somebody would even knock on it when it was open. They were very respectful, these girls. And they would come in and they would be like, and the tears, the tears, the tears. I went through five or six boxes of tissues a week, at least. She's not sitting next to me. I got a 98 on the test. I, I, I left my book home. What am I getting? Okay. Okay. First month into your arrest, there's a big bridge that connects two sides of the building there. I'm walking down the hall and one boy is throwing another boy into the wall. The other boy throws him into the opposite wall. And then they walk on the floor and they were on the floor fighting with each other. A rabbi comes down and I'm like, oh my gosh, rabbi, rabbi, what, what, what do we do? And he's like, Mrs. Schick, that's nothing. What are you talking about? They're just hanging out. And the boys start laughing at me. Okay, so that's just a broad different. Tissues are not used unless they have a cold. <laughs> Okay, so I think one of and and it's a, it's not academic, but it really affects it is the emotional constituency of the the differences are really unbelievable. Girls are deeper. Girls are more attuned. Sometimes negatively. Sometimes not knowing when how to discern what's very important, what's very vital, what's life and death, because you know the fact that you left your book home is not life and death, but it's sort of treated like that, that type of thing. Um, boys, oh, boys, 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 boys. They are to get them focused, except for the uber, uber, uber. You know, you know, they their their foot is in the door the first day, and they're going to be valedictorian types. You know, mm -hmm. they. Us, it's it's a little bit. It's very hard to to get a rise, to get a commitment, to get get an attraction. And listen, there are a lot of different reasons. I happen to both of these groups of kids that I worked with were of relatively the same socioeconomic background. Not necessarily completely. You know, obviously there are there are differences, but um, they are um, the boys to get them inspired is just so much harder, just so much harder. Whereas 
which is why I think that the, the damage that cell phones has to have done to them is maybe a little bit greater because girls are still much more social animals. Um, boys are more than happy to be left in the corner and, you know, um, sneaking their phone with them, especially if they're not so successful and they're not on the sports teams and they're not here, there, or there. I, I think that, that that is something to get them. And I, I loved what I did because I was good at getting them sometimes to cry. I was good at getting them to talk about, you know, their problems, their worries, their fears. And it was shocking because some of them were like, we don't talk about things like that. I'm like, no, 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 you do. You do appropriately and and, and in a right environment and to a safe person. But of course you talk about things like that. So it's like, we're the girls, I'm like, yeah, shut up. (laughs) It's like enough Enough already. Right. Right. Do you think that the differences that, that you saw were because girls are kind of just inherently more prone to that deepness you called it or because we expect more from girls like do you think that the girls are just under more pressure oh my gosh oh okay this was a phrase i i i it's my phrase i should copyright it okay this is this is what we are with girls girls are not enough of anything okay you're not tall enough short enough skinny enough pretty enough long enough hair great color hair you don't read enough you read too much you don't you don't you know help enough you help too much okay these are boys. Show up, eye contact, completely optional. That's right. it. That's it. It is so upsetting on both levels. And guess what? It's upsetting to both groups. Right. You know, one would think, I think girls suffer more from it, you know, maybe day to day. But for the long time for boys, a long approach for them is... It's like, you know, the, the, it's in there. It's in there. The feelings, the emotions, the concerns are there. But why do we almost squash it? Are we responsible for squashing it? Like, what, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, they themselves are under a lot of pressure. Um, they're under profess- uh, pressure religiously. They're under, you know, um, just kinds of different ways that they're supposed to, to behave. Plus, what you know, if, if they're not the jock, if they're not, you know, what are they? If they're not the jock and they're not the the, the genius who's, you know, going to be, you know, valedictorian, what are they? So I think both are. But girls on a day to day, it's 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 ridiculous. And and you know what the schools do? They 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 definitely call in the girls more for let's say offenses. So you know, if if the skirt is a drop too short. Whereas the boys, it's dress codes for boys that they don't follow. And most times it's ignored. It's ignored. Whereas for girls, it's a very, very, you know, big. Well, that's also, I think that like the example of dress code, that's also because we have made the grave mistake of tying dress code to sneeze, to modesty. And when you do that, then like you, a school can have dress codes and they are entitled to enforce those dress codes, however they choose. But when you're saying, if you don't follow my dress code, not you're breaking a school rule. Like if you came late to class, you don't follow my dress code. You are a bad person who will burn in hell. That's a very different type of conversation. Absolutely. And, and it, what it leaves out, you know, obviously we know there are standards there. We know that there are things that are unacceptable, but if somebody is actually at that level, then, you know, instantly, you don't have to be a therapist to know, okay, something's going on here. And, you know, you draw that person to you 
in in love, which I do have to give Manhattan credit for because they really did do that. They really did. They may have gotten like, you know, you can't do this here, but they definitely drew them. And, and I think that the boys aren't drawn enough with love. They're not. They're like, oh, right. like you know, like it's funny. The, the rabbi was right. They were fighting on the thing. Ignore them. But in certain ways, maybe they're ignored too much. I don't know. Maybe what can we do to make it safer? for our boys and our teenage boys to show that emotion and to share the things that they're going through in, like you said, in an appropriate way with a safe person? How do we make it easier for them to, to share what's going on in their head? So I, I think that they need a lot more people, adults in the school, whose roles are, are is to do that. You know, who um, I love when I read about schools where, you know, you'll have a great advisor, but within each grade, you'll have 10 boys that are responsible for what one person to, to, you know, try to get close to and to talk to. And those people have to be picked just as much as you'd want a math teacher who is like really a stellar math person. You need somebody there who is open and able and and, and can can really relate to the boys. Um you need so, so you have to be so non-judgmental. So, and it's hard. It's not easy to be non-judgmental. You know, when you think about it, like those of us, including me, who think I'm non-judgmental, everybody's judgmental. But when a human being, you know, Jewish, not Jewish, it doesn't matter. When a human being is sitting in front of you, you need to, you need to just like, you know, take a deep breath. Because what, what do we want them to be? You know, God made us all different. And I think that's something that we forget about. All of us are different. I'm not you. You're not me. Your your mother and and your aunt are my best friends on the face of planet Earth, and we're different. Okay, right. and it's it's you know so it's wonderful. I'm blessed with with friends like this who know, and that's wonderful. But the same is with kids, and you know what? I will suggest that the same is with little kids also. You know, um, and it doesn't mean, see, I think the fear is like maybe from older time administrators, the fear is and you're giving up control. You're totally, right. and I get that, but you know, so let's say you did give up control in something. Okay, made a mistake. Let's, let's revisit this. You know, it's, it's a, and because the price to be paid now, oh my God. Like, uh, I mean, I did have boys come to me and tell me you need to talk to him because what he he's I don't even know what the deep internet is or if that's what it's called you know it's like this it's like these levels of disastrous you know there's the price to pay now the price to pay when I was in school would be that the boys in my class went to the gym and hang on the swinging bars that was it you know you know, that's not the case anymore, even in communities that you may think it's, it, it, you know, shouldn't be the case. But Right, right. Like everyone, everyone thinks that like, okay, if you're in a religious community, then you're immune to this, which is the, like, could not be farther um, from the truth. Also from things at home, from problems, just like everybody. Listen, I, I you know, God, why are you doing this? Why are you giving us all so many problems? <laughs> like, could you just stop? You know, but that's just the way it is. And and I think, listen, I think we've come, you know, far. I think it's wonderful that we talk about these things and there are organizations out there. But but it doesn't it doesn't have to get to a crisis if the child, boy or girl, knows when he enters the building, this is my person. This I can talk to. This is not. I know someone to. You know, uh, you know. So so it's, right, to, uh, to have that address of okay, this is. I have this problem. They can, maybe they, they can't solve it maybe, but they can help me address it and work right. through it and things like that. You mentioned 
you mentioned how they like very off the side, which I wrote down because I thought that it was so interesting that you think that cell phones, and I'm assuming that you're using cell phones as a, um, uh, like that you're switching between cell phones and social media because you, yes, 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 I, I feel like yes, I have to, I have to translate yes. Robin for everyone else that she means yes, social yes. media people. Um, you think yes. that it, that it has possibly had been, has been more damaging for boys than for girls. And that surprised me because I think that when we talk a lot about the dangers of social media, we're talking about the comparison game and we're talking about like the distortion that happens if you're only seeing filter faces and things like that. And to yes. me, those kinds of, ask maybe it's just because I'm a girl and because I deal mostly with girls that that's where my right. head goes but it seems like those kinds of main issues would affect more girls than boys right right so I I think they do I think what I meant about the boys I I you know um they're more likely I I think in the most part to be risky they're just more likely which is why I I cringed cringe every every year multiple times when they came to show me their driver's license and I'm like oh no you know because they do I'm I, honestly there's not many a year there wasn't a crash thank god nobody you know because okay so because they're risky they're risky with a lot of things you know and if they if they feel I think it's, it's kind of funny girls want to want to do better do better do better do better Boys give up more easily. Boys like, no, I'm just gonna. There was a place in 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 the library of the school in, in GRS where you could totally hide. I love this thing. Like, totally hide. So I I knew that place, and you just would have kids who would just go there and just you know either put on the. Some of them weren't even on the internet, by the way. Some of them were listening to music, these big headphones, and and you know I'm like, uh, do you think you maybe should go to your chemistry class? Nope. <laughs> Okay, I was like, okay, I should know how to ask a question. Because <laughs> I guess he should even go. He said, no, that's an answer, right? Um, yeah, so I, so I think, you know, and listen, I haven't been in a girls' school in a long time. So maybe, you know, maybe it, it is just as bad. And also, I think just talking on a religious, as opposed to, let's say, a public school environment, you know, religious thing, depending on, you know, the, the you know, the how, where you sit on it things that are a problem in one school are not a problem in another school. You know, right. things that are a problem in one world are not a problem in, in another world. Um, I had a shocking, shocking experience. It was about three years ago where I went to, um, we had some boys who unfortunately failed their regents and they were from Queens. So they were able in January to take the regents at John Bound High School, which is- By, yeah. um, by, by on the way to the Horace Harding. There's a million exactly. cameras there. Yeah, exactly. That was my school. Okay, that's where I went to high school. So I went. Oh, really? I didn't realize you grew up so close to the name. I forget the Corona is like right. Freaking oh, no, 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 no. We moved. My parents moved to left Corona and moved to Kew Garden Hills when I was 16. Oh, okay. So, yeah, of course you went to John Bell then. That makes right, sense. Right, okay. Right, right. So um, they, they, I walk in. So I had to take them there. I mean, I didn't really have to, but they were terrified going into the building so I brought them there they wouldn't let me practice I guess they thought I was going to cheat with them um and I was like yeah no no I forgot how to do math don't worry but I did I brought them there and then I picked them up and then I went to get the grades there were police and um you know you had to go through a metal detector I was like oh my god Oh my God. And I told the guard, you know, I graduated from here and he was talking about when and what and what. So the whole world has just gone a little bit off and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, you know, 
dealing, blaming it on the phones and the computers and social media. But I mean, don't even get me into it. I have time. Maybe one day we can talk about like special ed nowadays um, and, and inattentiveness. And, and it's, it's just like, you know, oh my God, they just not focused. They're not, they, 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 they're not focused. They don't even tell you, I found this class is boring. Remember when classes were boring? They were oh boring. Oh my God. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? Even at the famous University of Pennsylvania, we would be like, oh God. <laughs> right. So you dealt with it. You daydreamed, right? Daydream. Right. No, they don't daydream anymore. They just under the desk, hoping not to court, or guess what? Someone explained to me, no, I want to get caught because then I get to go out. Then I get kicked out. <laughs> wow. So that's an interesting way of looking at life. And I got to say, I kind of admire it. A tiny yeah, bit. But, but the rise in diagnoses, let's say of ADHD, which is a real medical condition, it really is, but the rise has to do something with the inattentiveness, with the, with the inability to focus, to, to not, you know, it's it's hard. See, it's when, when you talk about focus, it's really interesting because like like we said, I'm kind of on the cusp of this. So right. like I didn't like as growing up as a teenager, we didn't have social media, we didn't have smartphones or anything like that. They right. really started right. becoming more widespread when I was a senior in high school. And I do notice myself now it's it's a little bit of a different situation because the vast majority of my job is on my phone so i'll spend right. the, like i have to spend a lot of time posting on instagram and answering messages and, right. and dealing with emails or whatever like all of that but i find that when i do those things on my computer because you can access all these things from desktop versus doing them on my phone i move through it faster yeah. i give better answers i'm just better at it when i'm sitting at a computer and my phone is i mean my phone is always within 10 feet of me but let's say if it's you know 10 feet away as opposed to within an arm's reach away then i find that i am able to like you said to focus more and to kind of get things done as opposed to if i'm working on my phone there'll usually be a point at least at least once probably way more than that like two or three times a day where i will end up mindlessly scrolling and literally look up and go what was i doing how did i get here i picked up my phone to do something like i had a i had a task at hand and next right. thing i know i'm just watching videos like there's yes. definitely listen i think that we have to acknowledge the fact that these devices that we carry around with us are literally designed to capture our attention Facebook right. makes money if we spend more time on its platforms and Absolutely. and they're engineered that way. Right. A hundred percent. And, you know, listen, there were so many things. I mean, please, you know, my phone's right here. You know? right. Same, same, yeah. right next to me. But, you know, there's also such a negative, like, like you know, um, I'm out. I'm actually a lot more anxious as a person than I look and appear and sound. So, oh my God. And I, I have a lot of friends, like if somebody doesn't come home on time and doesn't answer their, their phone, now, the, the anxiety that is bred and grows is unbelievable. Whereas, you know, yesteryear, you just had to wait till they showed up, right? right. So there's so much of it. But, but I feel, I, 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 I really feel, even with, let's say the kids in school, they're in high school now, are we really starting to give them, and you're right, to seven and eight-year-olds? We are. We are. They're giving it. They're giving it, you know, and parents are funny because, you know, parents say things like, well, I have to be able to get to them if I need to. So I'm thinking my mother, if, if my mother had to get to me and I can't really necessarily think of the reason an elementary school child needs to be contacted by their parent, if God class for show them something really bad happens, then they go get them. Right. right. So I don't know why, but 
nobody came and got me. We had kids in, in, you know, it was so cute when the mother's, the phone would ring and, 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 and a principal was walking by and they go, can I have your phone? I go, no, no, no. My mother just wanted to know what I wanted for supper. (laughs) Like, why are you doing that, mommy? (laughs) He wasn't lying. You know, right. And I recently came across this campaign that, like, not at all related to to Jewish life or from life at all. Um, it was called "Wait Until Eighth, and it was about it was a group of parents who were basically campaigning to wait until eighth grade to mm-hmm. give your kid a phone. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that they were maybe specifically talking about smartphones, but I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking back to like myself at in eighth grade, like all fourteen years of me, and being like kid did not need a phone like that, that, that kid did not need a phone and it was probably way better that she I mean granted nobody around me had one so it's like all the pressure and everything about it is different but yeah, yeah it's it's interesting to to think about how I mean it's it's a fact of life now you can't exist without no, no I know one person who doesn't have a cell phone really it, yeah really. I, I know one person I'll tell you who it is after air but okay. after we finish talking but um I know one person and and their life is definitely less convenient in a lot of ways. Now it works for them. It definitely works for them. And they've arranged their life to, you know, to, to make that work. But you, I don't think that, that it's reasonable to expect to not like to not, to, to not have a phone. I don't think that that's the thing. The same way that I don't think that really you should ever be memorizing any piece of information. This is what Zeta always said was that you yeah. don't need to know anything. You just need to know where to look it up. And right. I think all tests should be open book because why do I oh, need to, oh, why do I need to remember oh. random facts? There's no reason oh, for that. Oh, and you learn more, by the way, you are a hundred thousand percent, right? You learn more on an open book test than you do in a memory, right? Seriously? Okay. Absolutely. There's studies about it. You see it. I've seen it when I've, when I've given open book tests, so much more thought goes into it because they have to look, they have to just the whole process of connecting. Let's say it's an actual book as opposed to a computer and, and they have to look and see and connect to the paragraph, what value was it, you know, and you grade it toughly, you know, you grade it rightly, but you know, oh, a hundred percent, the testing situations are just ridiculous. You right. know, they were still doing things like that. Right. And when you think about like when you think about how this tool that we have to have in our lives, it has to, like, you can't not have a phone, but, right. but how do, but how does that change the way that our lives run? It's, right. it's, it's an interesting kind of question. Right. But again, getting back, I think the whole basis is to start anything you're doing correctly with emotion to the person in front of you. That's what it is. And, and children deserve respect and they deserve to be people. And, and again, God, I'm, you know, God created them. I'm getting back to, you know, um, and, and it's, it's interesting how very well-intentioned people don't always, you know, whether they're school administrators or, or even parents, you know, and then I understand the anxiety of parents. I've had parents sit in front of me crying and, and hysterical and upset and I get it, but you know, if we could start early, imagine like if you had a four, you know, a fourth grader who can just talk to somebody about anything, you know, I think that that person is going to be, you know, grow up thinking, well, this is good, but if I have an issue, I go to this person. If I have an issue, if I'm confu- just confused about something, doesn't even have to be, you know, like, you know, excited or, you know, something disastrous. It's, it's, it's just an everyday, it's an everyday life. I love that. That's such a good way of, of approaching, of, of, it's, it's a, it's an interesting kind of outlook. I'm shelving that. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely shelving that. Um, 
I was I usually at this point I ask like if if somebody wants to learn more about you or get in touch with you or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You're not a social media person. So Oh my god, my kids are so funny. I know. Like like they, oh they're so angry my kids. My daughters they're like, "You stop telling us to show you something on Facebook <laughs> because you just get Facebook." <laughs> I'm like, "I am not getting I refuse." Um but yeah, this was a wonderful conversation, Robin. Thank you so much for coming on. It really was, it it was a real pleasure. I I really, I really. I'm so glad that we got to do this. I'm I'm really so thrilled that we got to do this. I always ask people to end off with, what does it mean to you to make an impact? Um, I think that for me, okay, it's, it's so, I mean, I, I, I'll end with, with two opposing stories. One of them is, is, happening now and it's quite sad. But one of the stories was a young man who called me up to tell me from Israel, he, he stayed there a couple of more years than he probably should have, just to say, you believed in me and I'm doing so great now, you know? And I can't even tell you, I mean, I was like crying. He's like, don't cry. I was like, no, 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 I taught you to cry. <laughs> and the other is I'm, I'm dealing with a, a former student now who unfortunately had, had um, um, was diagnosed with cancer when he was in the 10th grade. Nice. And we got, he got through it. And um, I've been in touch boy since the 10th grade and he's he's now 21 okay has told has called me every single friday to wish me a good shabbos so it it came back it came back so i had this horse he told me it's hard for his you know to get someone to go with him and i the fact that i was in touch with him so i was able to take him for a treatment last week and I cannot, I mean, it sounds so ridiculous that I'm saying that how much meant to me. It's like, what is this about me? It's nothing about me. But it, it, it just was like, this is what it means to be human. You know, this is what it, this is what it means. And I, I'm not special. <laughs> you know? Good thing about when I was raised, we were told you're special. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was our really. But it's just beautiful to, 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 you know, connect and touch lives. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Robin. I really appreciate it. Okay. All right. All the best. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating or even a quick review on your favorite podcast listening app. They really do make my day. On the last episode, I went solo to discuss the drawstring dress and share my tips for modest dressing in the heat. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 20 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzquitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.